You know, I'm going to get started. Can we get started? Would that be good? Um, this is a fascinating thing. My daughter's at the age now where she is getting things from colleges. So she is receiving all kinds of uh, mailings. You got all these things when you're getting ready for university. She got this one recently from the University of Rochester. And we're like, Clemson, campus pastor, honey, you're going to this school. This is, no, not at all. Um, what's fascinating is like doubt. What's fascinating for me is that they're sending this as a sort of, hey, this is the kind of student we want to come to our university. And there's some marketing genius who's sitting behind closed doors thinking through, what is one word that would capture the minds of people in our culture that would make them want to come to our school? What would, what would hook them, what would get them to say, I want to be a part of this school? And it was the word doubt. Isn't that fascinating? I find it utterly and completely fascinating that this is their power word that they chose to get new freshmen to come to their school. Now, the reason this is important is because doubt is really represented in our culture as something that is, for them, more intelligent, more courageous, more honest, and more humble. Right, right now, we live in a culture that says doubt Skepticism, particularly when it comes to religious ideas, is really something that is completely acceptable and even preferred by people. So what we know is that we're all affected by this all the time in the way that we think. And so we're going to spend this week together talking about what faith really is. And so today what we're going to talk about is faith as just a concept. Everybody has faith. What does it mean to believe something? Okay. Second day, tomorrow, we're going to talk about what particularly do we mean by saving faith. When Christians talk about faith in Jesus, what do we mean? Day three, we're going to deal with faith and reason. That's a huge one for people in our culture. What is the relationship really between faith and reason, our minds, and what's going on inside of us all the time? And then day number four, we're going to talk about what faith and works that dynamic is in Scripture. Does that sound good? Good. So hopefully you have a handout. Or were there any left? I made 50 copies. That's what I was told to make. So um, hopefully you have a handout. You can just fold it. It's made to look, look like a little book. You can stick it in your Bible, whatever you want to do. But let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into our conversation. So let me, yeah, you need one? Uh, I'll try. I'll see what I can do. Uh, I will certainly have more tomorrow for uh, tomorrow's lesson. So good. Come on in. Let me pray for us. Father, our prayer today, our prayer as we start our time together, is that you would be pleased to meet with us. That as we talk about the ideas of faith, that you would empower our own, that you would give, her, give us a deeper confidence in you, a deeper confidence in your word. And we pray for our friends who are in the room here who have some concerns about faith, because like the rest of us, they've been influenced by culture and, and negative ideas about faith, things we see in the news, things we hear from talking heads, even things that they've read. Lord, we pray for our friends who are here who have some doubts about the nature of faith, that you would be pleased to teach them and to teach all of us and to help us have confidence in the claims that are made in the name of Jesus. Would you bless us? Would you bless our time together now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I know that recording this thing... Uh, do we need to turn off the air conditioner, Daniel? Do we need to turn off the air conditioner? You sure? Yeah. It's going to pick up? Okay. I just feel like I need to talk really loudly. So, can you all hear me? We all good? We all good. Okay. Um, 
In the Bible, the first time that the word faith or some component thereof appears is the word believe. And it's in Genesis 15, 6. And it says, Abraham believed. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he, he believed. And it should be so simple because Abraham believed what God said and then God saved him. He gave him righteousness. God said, whatever you've done that's been bad in my sight, I'm completely dismissing that. That's all forgiven. I'm accepting you completely. All by faith. It should be that simple. Abraham believed God. But it's not for most of us. Faith is something that's really confusing. And for some of us, it's even feels life-threatening. The very foundations of our world are shaken when our faith is shaken. Uh, this found, this uh, this seminar began several years ago in my mind. I was sitting down with some of my students at Clemson, and uh, there were three girls. Uh, I'm not going to say their names because there are Clemson-type people in here that would know them potentially. So uh, let's say Jackie and uh, Catherine, and let's come up with a third one. Y'all pick a random name. What's a random name for the third girl? What y'all? Bertha? Did somebody say Bertha? <laughs> Bertha works. Okay. So Jackie. Jackie grew up in a very solid, Bible-believing church her entire life. Had never had a moment of doubt about anything. Her parents were Christians. She grew up going to the youth group, very involved. She jumped right into RUF, got very close to our family and our kids. And uh, the semester she took, a religion class at Clemson completely rocked her world. Because she started to hear things from her professor, allegations about Christianity that she had never heard, things that were purported to be tr purportedly true about Christianity. And so she was sitting here at this lunch with me and two other, the two other girls, expressing that for the first time she had some deep misgivings, some deep doubts about Christianity. And she wondered, is everything I've ever believed in my life just a myth? Is it really just a fairy tale that Palestinian savages a long time ago made up in the desert because they're just superstitious? Is this even real? Right. Second girl, Catherine. Catherine had a roommate who uh, around October of that year uh, claimed to start receiving revelation from God about the imminent return of Jesus. So Jesus, according to Catherine and these revela uh, Catherine's roommate and these revelations she was receiving, Jesus was supposed to come back in February of that year, the next year. And so they had received this divine revelation from God. They were wondering what to do with it. Who would even believe such a thing? And so they started to tell each other and gathered a small group of people who started praying for the return of Jesus. They were absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to come back in February. And this was March. And we're sitting down for lunch hanging out and talking, and Catherine said, how could we have been so convinced but have been so wrong? Is it possible that everything I've ever believed about Jesus isn't true? Maybe I just feel like it's true, but it's not true after all. And so Catherine was also dealing with deep doubt. And then Bertha, did y'all have coined her name? Um, Bertha uh, she was not struggling with doubt in the same way. Uh, Bertha's dad had been a strong leader in their local church, and he'd been caught in some uh, unseemly kind of a uh, actions with other people in, his in their church. And uh, Bertha was sitting across from me wondering this. How can somebody who say says that they believe in Jesus 
do something that's so horrible and so painful to so many people? Does faith even make a difference in people's lives? Is it real for people or is it just a game that we play? Right? Maybe you've had those kind of doubts. Maybe you've had some sort of a struggle with faith yourself. And whether you know it or not, even if you haven't had one of those kind of like crisis moments for your faith, you probably have some struggles with what faith actually means in your life. If you're living in the United States, if you're living in the Western world, you have some deep misunderstandings about what Christianity is. So we're going to spend our first, uh, really, first day together talking about those misrepresentations, both from our culture and from evangelical culture, clear the air a little bit, and talk about what faith really is. So that's what we're going to do. Um, first thing, I think you, it might be on your outline, it says the, uh, the, ma- the main cultural misrepresentations of, of faith. And the first one is really this. The main cultural misrepresentation or misunderstanding of faith is this, that faith is accepting as true something for which you have no evidence. That's the main one. That's the one you hear all day, every day on the, on the news, in your classes, coming from people. If I ask somebody on the street, what is the main cultural mis- main uh, definition of faith, they will say, well, faith is accepting as true something for which you have no evidence. It's believing something when you don't, there's no proof for it. We hear that all the time. And Christians actually say this all the time, quoting from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Right? This is our main definition. And uh, this is from an atheist guy named Richard Robinson, I thought he put it pretty succinctly. He said this, Christian faith is not merely believing that there is a God. It is believing that there is a God, no matter what the evidence on the question may be. Have faith in the Christian sense means make yourself believe that there is a God without regard to any evidence. This is the air we breathe every day. We're so used to it that we don't, hey, uh, we're so used to it that we don't even really think about it anymore. It's just our, our knee-jerk response to what faith is culturally. Hey, thanks. Appreciate yeah, it. Sir. Should we keep the boxes or go to the podium? Which other? The boxes. We're keeping the boxes. Okay. Even Christians buy into this, and uh, Christian pastors buy into this. Um, I don't know which one to do now. I'm torn. Okay. Uh, in fact, there's a... I was reading, and this really... This struck me, because this is a, a well-known pastor in our culture... It's, uh, this is in a book called Case for Faith, Lee Strobel's book. He did Case for Christ, and then he also did a book, Case for Faith, and a couple of other cases for something or other. And uh, there's this one chapter where he's interviewing a, lo- a pastor about what faith is. And so this is what the pastor is doing. He's saying, well, faith is, and he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a quarter. And he doesn't tell, he doesn't show Lee Strobel what it is, but he's got a quarter in his hand. And he says, I've got a quarter in my hand. He says... I'm telling you it's true, but you haven't seen it. And that's faith. Hebrews says faith is the evidence of things not seen. So there's this pastor saying, you can't see this, and I'm telling you, that's what faith is. And then he goes on to say this. Watch as I completely destroy your faith. And with that, he opened his hand to reveal a quarter. And he says, now it's no longer faith, it's knowledge. And he tossed the quarter on the table and he said, sometimes people think that faith is knowing something is true beyond any doubt whatsoever. And so they try to prove faith through empirical evidence. 
but that's the wrong approach. Then he gestured to the coin and said, You can see and touch the quarter, so you don't need faith. God, for his own reasons, has not subjected himself to that kind of proof. Now, when I read that, I I immediately thought, that's not faith, biblically. That's not ever what the Bible means when it talks about faith. Now, I'm no way denigrating that pastor. As you read through the story, you realize this is a very caring and compassionate man. He's very respectable, and he's trying to help his people in his church navigate the hardships of faith in the modern world. But nowhere does the Bible talk about faith as the absence of evidence, right? Let me take you to a passage. This is in John chapter 20, okay? So if you have your Bible, if you have your phone Bible, if your friend has a Bible, snatch it out of their hand. Um, John chapter 20, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right towards the end. And uh, Jesus has appeared to ten of his disciples. Judas is dead. He's gone. So there are eleven left. He appears to 10, and then in John chapter 20, verse 24, starting, there's a guy named Thomas, and this is an episode talking about doubting Thomas is what he's been called uh, throughout history. Uh, So in verse 25, it picks up, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord resurrected. He's back from the dead. We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, (laughs) I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then this is what Jesus said, and this is hugely important. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what Jesus is doing here, he doesn't say to to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, let me destroy your faith. Ta-da! Look at the holes, right? He doesn't do that. What he says is, Thomas, you saw and you believed. And so what Jesus has done, he has taken believing the way that we define it culturally out of our cultural context and says believing something different. This man had absolute proof. Jesus is standing there in front of him. And Jesus said, because you had this proof, you believe. But then he says something else that's equally important. He says, God's hand of blessing is upon those who don't have proof. They don't see, but they also come to believe. So he's saying it's not an epistemological category. It's not a category of how you see and what proof you have. It's, not, it's, not, it's something deeper. It's more foundational to our humanity. He's not talking about not having evidence and not being able to see, and that's why we believe stuff. That's not what the Bible means. Now, some of you are going to say, well, wait, 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 wait. That is what the Bible means. Because when we read Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's talking about not seeing stuff. I mean, you quoted it yourself, Stephen. You said... Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is not seeing something. And the answer is no. Flip over there, Hebrews 11. And what you're going to see is that in the context of Hebrews 11, he's not talking about proof externally about the existence of God. Like if you look at nature, if you look at creation, if you look at human beings, or He's not saying there's no proof for God. We just believe it. We take that verse completely out of its context. 
the context for here in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. He's not talking about the material world not having evidence for God. What he's talking about is the future, right? And if you look back through the context, he's saying the thing that we hope for, the thing that we do not see is the return of Jesus Christ. We don't have that yet. We don't see the future. So in this way, when he's talking in Hebrews 11.1 1 about faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, it is not like going on a snipe hunt. Do you all know what a snipe hunt is? It's, like somebody, it's a fictitious bird hiding in the bushes, and you get your gullible stooge friend to go out and shake the bushes and say, here, snipe, 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 and you try to get the snipe to jump into the bag. It's not like that, where there's an invisible bird that doesn't exist you're trying to get this person to catch. It's more like ordering something off of Amazon, right? So you order something off Amazon, and when you click the, you know, the, the purchase now and you put in your code, all that stuff, you get a confirmation page. You get a confirmation email. You get a tracking number for this thing, right? And you check that tracking number every 35 minutes because it's like, when is this going to be here, right? Eight to ten business days unless you have Amazon Prime, which is the bomb. Okay, so... So it's going to be here when it's going to be here, but you know I've got all this proof. I've ordered from Amazon before. I know people who've ordered from Amazon before. i got the tracking number, tracking page. I see where it is in transit. I don't know why it goes up to New Jersey to come down to South Carolina. It makes no sense, but there it is. And so you're able to see this is going to be at my doorstep in a couple of days. I'm sure of it. I'm certain of it. I have proof of it, right? I know it's going to be there, but it's not here yet. So in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where he says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, he's not talking about looking at the world around me and going, I don't really know if there's a God. What he's saying is, there is a God who's made promises that are not yet completely fulfilled, and that's the context. Walk with me through this real quick, okay? Hebrews 11.1, 1, just the context. I'm going to find where it is in my notes. Yeah, in chapter 10, verse 36, we read this. You will receive the promises of God. That's setting up Hebrews 11.1. 1. You will receive the promises of God. In chapter 11, verse 9, we read this. The promise of God. In 11.11, 11, we read, They considered him faithful who had made the promise. In 11.13, we read, All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. In 11.17, we read again, He who had received the promise. So that's what he's talking about. It's, it's about the promise, not about there not being anything in the world around us that gives evidence to God. In fact, that's a really problematic thing, and it's really confusing for us as Christians to enter into those conversations and say there's no proof for God, because the Bible says the exact opposite. In places like Romans 1, I did spit on you, and in places like Romans 1 and elsewhere, it says things like this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. When we start looking at the world and say, God hasn't given us any evidence for Himself. He's not left us any proof. We make God guilty of not making himself known. And the Bible says he's not guilty. He's made himself known everywhere. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us suppressing the truth because we don't want it to be true. I don't want that to be true, so we suppress it. The problem is not with God in evidence. 
the problem is within us and not wanting that to be true because it has too big a cost for us, okay? Second, this is also a cultural misconception or cultural misrepresentation of faith. Faith, we're told, is a crutch. Faith is a way of helping us deal with the hardships of life. That's basically wishful thinking. It's dreaming. It's wishing upon a star. It's wanting all of those things to be true when, in fact, they aren't really true. And nobody's better at this. Nobody's better at selling you a dream than Disney. I love Disney. Zootopia was a fantastic movie. Jungle Book was a fantastic movie. Marvel got bought by Disney. They're swallowing everything. That's going to be a good movie this weekend when Captain America comes. I love Disney stuff, right? But they're horrible at selling you some sort of a dream, right? A wish, a faith. This, uh, you may know this song from Cinderella. It has to be sung, so if you want to sing along with it, you can sing. It's really okay. We're going to sing. Okay, this is the song. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. In dreams you lose your heartaches. Whatever you wish for, you keep. Have faith in your dreams and someday your rainbow will come smiling through. No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. Okay. Y'all, that's just horrible. That's just horrible. We all know that doesn't work, right? My man over here is wishing that he did not hurt his finger yesterday at the beginning of summer conference, and it ain't going to change it, is it? No, it doesn't work. Just wanting something to be true doesn't work. And, you know, there's, there's a very simple refutation for Disney's idea about believe the magic, believe, you know, very simple refutation, talking mice, and that's it. Okay, we don't need to go any further. Okay. Kobe, Megan is no. Evangelical misconceptions. We have ours. We have a lot of them. But I only have time to really deal with one of them. And, it, and it's this. And, and it's going to be hard for me to say this because immediately you're going to think I'm a heretic uh, and you're going to think I'm saying something that's wrong. But I'm not. Right? And it's this. We just tell you, I'm not saying anything wrong up here. I'm being recorded. Okay. Ever since I was a small child, I've heard the formula, formula for salvation put this way. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you are saved. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you're saved. And that's not true. At least it's not complete. And here's what I mean by that. When we say that I believe that Jesus died for my sins, what we're saying is I believe that Jesus did one thing 2,000 years ago in the span of like a couple of hours on a cross. And I believe that. But when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it's not simply believing that he did one thing. It's believing him, period. It's believing his person, his work, completely, period, in his person. Yeah, Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, and that's fantastic. He died for all my sins, past, present, and future. That's fantastic. I will talk about that all day with you. I love that. But when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it says, I don't just believe that he did one thing. I believe that now he's seated at the Father's right hand and that he is going to come back. I believe that he has a whole bunch more action items on his to-do list that he's going to accomplish and he's going to bring about. So when I talk about believing in Jesus, it doesn't mean that I simply believe that he died for my sins. 
I believe him when he talks about anything. So when Jesus talks about money or relationships or family or marriage or future or history or politics or emotions or choices or sacrifices or time or personality or whatever else Jesus is talking about, I believe him, period. And to say that I just believe that he died for my sins 2,000 years ago is saying I don't really believe him when he talks about anything else. He can do that, but he can't do any of this other stuff, right? So believing in Jesus is bigger than what we've made it to be in the Bible, right? You know what the first sermon is about in the Bible and when, after the resurrection of Jesus? It's not about atonement. It's not about how to get saved. It's about how Jesus is the king over all the universe. And he says, this is the sermon. This is what the sermon's about. Jesus is king over everything. And we believe in him. Now here's the problem. When we say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he forgives me for everything, what we allow is for all of these other voices that are in our culture, in our world, in our experience, in our lives, in our hearts, to shape our values. So what effectually happens is for us who profess to be Christians, Jesus doesn't make a very big difference in our lives. Because we're just like everybody else in our culture, except we say, Jesus died for my sins. And that's not biblical, right? Yes, I'm completely free. Yes, I'm completely forgiven. Yes, I'm completely acceptable. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But at the same time, Jesus says to believe him. Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Right? That's a big part of what it means to believe in Jesus. So, what is faith? What, what, what is faith after all? Right? I actually need a chair. And I need somebody who's about six foot three. Anybody, we have anybody who's six foot three? Six foot three. Six foot two? Six foot four? Oh, come on up. Come back, Ben. Come. Clemson boys, that's good. Okay, you're going to stand on our chair for us right here. I'm going to tell you a little, little true story. Stand yeah, stand. Don't lose your balance because you'll end up like him. Okay, so. How did you do that? Playing basketball? Ooh, that would be more, okay, good. Okay. In 2009, the tallest man in the world was a man named Bao Shishun from Inner Mongolia, China. He was seven foot nine. He, he is seven foot nine inches tall. I'm six three, six four, something like that, so you can get a sense of how tall Bao Shishun really is. He's a shepherd of all things, which is really kind of a cool thing. So there's this shepherd who actually is the tallest man. He's traveled the world now being the tallest man. And uh, he's so tall, he wears like size 27 shoes. Can you imagine that? At one point, the, uh, it was like a marine biology place in California. They, they brought some dolphins in from the wild who had eaten trash. And the trash was stuck in the dolphins' stomachs. And they, these dolphins were dying because they were starving to death. They flew Bao Shishun over from Inner Mongolia, China to put his arms down the dolphins' mouths and retrieve the trash and rescue the dolphins. Isn't that, that's awesome. It's like, this guy's off. But can you imagine being this man, Bao Shishun, living in Inner Mongolia, China? Like, as you walk around, everybody sees you. Everybody's going, hey, Bao, what's up, man? It's great. I am. Okay, so, um, how's the weather up there? All the dumb stuff. Can you, those of you who are tall, know it's hard to buy clothes. Everything that he has to buy is specially made, even including his shoes, right? When he goes into the public toilet, 
It's like that scene in Elf where it's like, hey, have you seen these toilets? They're ginormous. It's like, he's taller than everybody. He's the center on every, everybody assumes he can play basketball. He's just a shepherd, right? Leave him alone, right? So getting into a car, getting into an airplane, all the, like going through the doorway, he's ducking, right? Hitting his head on the ceiling fan. All of these things that make up Bao's life, okay? Now, this is also fascinating. At the same time that Bao Shishun was the tallest man in the world, I need somebody who can be two feet five inches, like sitting on the floor. Anybody be two feet five inches for us? You gotta, if we need somebody, we're gonna be stuck. Two foot five inches. No, you're not gonna do it, Nick? Okay. Ashton, thank you. Okay, you gotta sit on the floor. At the same time that Bao Shishun was the tallest man in the world, he, Ping Ping, was the shortest man in the world who was able to walk. There was actually a man who was shorter, but because of birth defects, those kind of things, he wasn't able to walk. So uh, he, Ping Ping, was the shortest man in the world who was able to walk. Two feet, five inches, right? Can you imagine what his life is like? Where does he shop? Where, what's it like for him walking down the street and people bumping into him because they don't see him, right? So all getting into a car, driving a car, all the stuff that we take for granted, two foot, five inches. Very different experience. Now here's what's fascinating for me. Bao Shishun and He Pingping both lived at the same time in Inner Mongolia, China, two villages apart. I don't know what's in the water there, but there it is, okay. <laughs> now these two guys, they're experiencing the world, it, it, the same kind of world, same buildings, same people, same environment, same food, everything but experiencing it from completely different perspectives. Do you think these two men living in Inner Mongolia, Inner Mongolia, China, had very different experiences and outlooks on the way the world was? Like all of you in the room right now can see Bao Shishun. Only the people pretty much in the front two rows can see He Pingping. So their, our perspective on them, their perspective on us is completely different. And do you know why? Because of their skeletons. That's it. They had different skeletons, frameworks in their body. Thank y'all. It's good. It's helpful. Thank you. Different skeletons, right? You are basically who you are. You're tall, you're short, you have skinny shoulders, you have wide shoulders, you have wide hips, narrow hips, all these things, basically because of your bone structure, right? I'm tall and skinny because I have a tall and skinny skeleton, right? I have skinny wrists, right? I can, can you get my hand around? I can get my hand around my ankles. Can you get your hand around your ankles? Like, I'm skinny. I have skinny bones, right? I, I'm so skinny I can poke my head through this hole, right? Right there, okay. I have high cheekbones because my skeleton has high cheekbones, right? Why do you look the way you do? It's because of your skeleton, right? And it also, you know, houses all of your inner organs, your brain, all these kind of things. It's the framework of your body is built on your skeleton. Your faith is the framework for everything about you. Everything. Everything about you is built on the framework of your faith. Your values, the way you think, the way you reason, what you, your goals, your morals. Everything about your inner life is built on the framework of your faith. It's impossible to escape that, right? Your values, your self-perception, your perception of the world, your interactions with others, your mood, 
Everything is shaped by this. Right? Your faith, in other words, is not something you do. It's who you are. It's the core of who you are. It's the foundation of who you are. You can't get away from that. What you believe works itself out in your character, in your personality, every part of your life. And it even works itself out into those big issues like when it comes to being a theist or being an atheist, right? That's all determined by your faith, what you do and don't believe. Now, there, there is a faith system in atheism. They don't acknowledge that because one of the main beliefs, one of the myths of modern atheism is that they don't have a belief system. But they do. But their faith system keeps them from being able to point their fingers back at themselves and realize, I have a belief system that's intact when it comes to the way I look at God and the world. So we all look the way that we do, whether we're religious, irreligious, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist. We look the way that we do, and we look at the world the way that we do because of our faith system. You are what you believe, right? Now, this explanation I know may be very, very different from, some, from culturally what we say, but that's a cultural belief system that's plugging into that. And as you begin to look at people and listen to them, you realize they have a lot of assumptions that they make just by faith. So who you are is based on your faith. And even this, right? Your struggles with faith come from faith, right? It's competing belief systems inside of you. The doubts we have about Christianity come from beliefs that have been established and become a part of us in other ways, right? So your skepticism, your doubt, the places in your life where your life doesn't meet up with what the Bible says, you know, you know the Bible says to do it, but you don't do it, you do something else, is built on your faith. You believe something at that moment that is contrary to Scripture. Everything you do, every decision, every choice, Every value, every desire is built on what you believe, right? Let me, let me, I'll say it this way. There are two elements of faith that kind of give you a picture of this. One way that we use it is as a verb. This is the one we're most com we most commonly think about. I believe something. I hold it to be true. My faith is a verb. So in places in the Bible where it says, what must we do to inherit eternal life or to be saved? The answer is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something I do. But there are other places where the Bible talks about faith as really a noun, as a, as a body of information outside of us that exists apart from us. So in a place like Jude verse 3, he says, I wanted to write to you about the salvation we share, but I thought it was more necessary to write to you to contend for the faith which was once and for all entrusted to the saints. So he's talking about a body of information about Jesus, the witness of this, those uh, the, the, the eyewitness's testimony in the first century. He's saying this has been entrusted to us, right? a body of information. And when those two things come together, it shapes you and makes you who you are. Let me give you a kind of a, a visual demonstration of this so you can see how this works. Okay? There we go. I know you've seen these things before. right? My kids love these. Perpetuity, right there. Okay, so okay. So I want you to imagine that this is your verb, right? This is you believing. And something like this would be the content that exists outside of you. A can stand for whatever you want it to stand for, right? So when this goes in, 
It has now shaped you. I believe this. I now live according to it. I live assuming that these things are true, and I don't see the world any differently. Right? But there are other people, right? Am I holding it right that way? Is that the right Z? Does it look like a Z or is that Z? That? That's it, okay. That. Some people believe something different, and it shapes them in a different way, right? Atheists believe something different than theists. Christians believe something different than Muslims, right? Southerners believe different things than Northerners. It's just, that's wrong, but there it is. Okay, so, um, this shapes you. It makes you who you are. So, you believe in Jesus? It's going to shape you. It's going to make you who you are. So, the noun and the verb operating together make us the people that we are. You're, the way you interact with people, they see it all the time. You may not see what you believe, but they see what you believe because they interact with you on a daily basis. And what it means functionally is that people believe for all sorts of reasons, not simply because they see the proof or see the evidence. There's more going on. In fact, when you look at passage after passage of Scripture, it talks about two main components here. One is the heart, and the other is faith. So in place like Romans 10, it says that you must... Confess with your mouth that Jesus Jesus is Lord and uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So the heart and faith are tied together in Scripture. So when the Bible's talking about heart, it's usually talking about faith and what we believe, that centerpiece of our lives, the skeleton or the wellspring of life that the Bible talks about. The heart in the Scriptures is not like Hallmark cards and Valentine's Day. It's the, it's the source of all of your living. All your values, desires, morals, thinking about the world, your reason in the Bible is centered around your heart, not just your emotions. Emotions are a response of all these things to the world around us, but it's not the primary thing. So the Bible says it this way. Speaking of faith in Jesus, it says this. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's what you do to be saved. But the skeptic is talked about this way. The, the person who's not a believer it says, the fool says in his heart. Right? Not just mind, but heart. And there's, a, there's a, a modern philosopher by the name of Thomas Nagel. He's an atheist philosopher. And in his book, The Last Word, he says something that's really, really fascinating because he's owning up to this. He's owning up to the fact that it's not just about reason. It's about something deeper. So listen to Thomas Nagel's. He said... He says, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the world to be like that. Isn't that fascinating? He's just kind of owning up and saying... I don't want there to be a God in the world. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Ultimately, it's because you want to. It may entirely be true. There may be all kinds of evidence. But ultimately, you want it to be true. In the first century, there, were all, there was all kinds of evidence for Jesus being the miracle-working Son of God, the Christ, the King of the universe. And people saw Him day after day after day, 
And there were some people who just didn't want to believe and they refused to believe it. And there were other people who saw and recognized it and fell on their faces before him because they wanted to. Right? And there are people today who hear the claims of Jesus and they want it. They recognize it. They fall upon it and say, I am so glad this is true. I want it to be true. And it is true. And then other people hear the same message and they say, I don't want that to be true. I don't like that. I don't want that. Right? So it's not just a matter of reason, intellect, proof, not having proof. It's something deeper. Something that's going on inside of us, at the core of who we are. That we allow these thoughts, we allow these to shape us and to make us who we are. So let me give you a definition for faith. Okay. This is a technical definition. I think it might be on your sheet. I don't know. Uh, and then I'm going to give you a non-technical definition. Faith is a deep, personal devotion. It's a disposition of our hearts. Faith is a deep, personal devotion to something outside of yourself upon which you base your life. Faith is a deep, personal devotion to something outside of yourself upon which you base your life. And now let me make it more of a Christian definition for us. That's, that's true of everybody. Faith, for a Christian, is a comprehensive disposition of personal devotion to God and Jesus Christ upon whom we base our lives. I base my life on that. I put all my eggs into that basket. I believe it's true. I'm glad it's true. So let me give you kind of three bullet points. If somebody asks you what faith is, like if I see you somewhere on the beach today and uh, I ask you what faith is, this is you can just shoot this back at me and you don't have to be embarrassed or anything. Okay. So three things. I'm not really going to do that. Y'all like, I'm going to avoid him at all costs on the beach today. Okay. Only if I'm playing against you in volleyball will I do that. Okay. Three bullet points. One, I think it's true. I'm convinced it's true. I know it's true. Uh, for whatever reason, and there, we're going to talk about this on Thursday, faith and reason. What are the reasons people give for believing in Jesus? Uh, we'll talk about some of those things. I think it's true. Second, I'm glad it's true. I celebrate it. And some of you might get this, right? It's not Something can be real and you're glad it's real, like chocolate. Chocolate's real and I celebrate it, right? I'm so happy that chocolate, like Jesus is real, God is real, and I celebrate that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad he's coming back, right? Because I suck as a human being and I can't wait till he fixes me, right? So I think it's true. I'm glad it's true. And number three, I base my life on it. I want to be, I want what Jesus wants for my life. I want the world to be what Jesus wants for the world. And I base my life on that. And everybody does that, right? Not with Jesus, but with other things. They, they think it's true, they're glad it's true, and they're going to build their lives on it, all of us. We finished early, so I'm going to open up for any questions that you might have. You can challenge me on anything, you can ask for further explanation. I'd be glad to answer questions. Yeah, let me give you the second definition. This is the more comprehensive. Uh, faith is a comprehensive disposition of personal devotion. In other words, it's not just a, a category of my thinking, it's the disposition of my whole soul towards life and towards God. Faith is a comprehensive disposition of personal devotion to God and Jesus Christ upon whom we base our lives. That's what it means to believe. Good question. Clarification. Any other clarification questions? Yes, sir. Um, uh, the Bible talks to 
Let me see that. Say the question for people in the back if you hear. If I'm understanding, you tell me if I'm right in the question, okay? Because my wife said I assume things in questions and I'm wrong, okay? So the question is we talked about the Bible as a framework, right? And uh, or the, the faith is a framework for ourselves. And, but the Bible talks about our faith being able to grow or to be strengthened or to be, uh, you know, somehow there's a change or transformation where it's becoming more solidified. Is that kind of the question? Yeah, I, this happens is uh, just as we grow in our, like, you're not, you don't have the same skeleton you did as a one-year-old, right? Unless you were a freakishly large baby, right? So, so you were, this <laughs> is horrible to think about. Okay. Let's pray and get out of here. Um, so, the, you are growing physically, and I'm growing physically, and it's the same when it comes to our faith for a variety of reasons. Number one is this, is I'm growing in the truth that's coming into me that's challenging the falsehood that's shaping my life. Like, I can remember being a college student my sophomore year, and we were talking about sex. And I remember, and I was a Christian, I've been a Christian for several years, and I can remember one of the people that I was talking to saying that sex is for marriage. And I said, no, 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 sex is fine as long as you love the person. I mean, really love them, because if you love them, you're planning to get married to them. And so it's really kind of like being willing to, would, would I be willing to marry this person? That's when you can have sex. And then within the next year, I received some teaching from Scripture and, and publicly from different places and that idea that was shaping my sexual mores and my values began to change and transform, to come more in line with what Scripture was saying and what God really said about marriage and about uh, sexual relationships, those kind of things. So I grew in my understanding of that, right? But at the same time, there are areas in which, you know, uh, through the years, it hasn't simply been a question of gaining new knowledge. It's being able, it's stepping into a situation where that knowledge is proved to be true and becomes more solidified in me. About five years ago, my father passed away. And I knew, I knew at that point, intellectually, that when people go through trials and all sorts of testing in their lives, that that was a huge time of growth for them. And so I remember getting the phone call from my brother that my dad had passed away that night. And when I hung up the phone... My prayer to God was interesting because I said to God, here we go. Because I knew I was getting ready to step into a time of testing and growth for my life. And, you know, aside from what was going on emotionally with my dad, I knew that God was getting ready to do something in my life through that. And I was going to have to hold his hand as I went through it. And so that was a time of strengthening of my faith because I was going through a very difficult time. But my faith was strengthened. I'm more, sol I'm more solid in my understanding of God. And there were other things that God did in my character and life during that time period, which were huge for me. But it was, uh, there wasn't new information. It was just realizing more deeply and fully the trustworthiness of my God and Father who loves me and cares for me. Does that answer your question? It's a great question. Okay. Other questions? Hey, I'm around, I know it's weird. Some of you have a question and you're thinking, I would never in a million years ask that in a group like this, particularly when they're recording, right? Okay. Um, sorry, <laughs> you got a question. Okay. And that, that weird illustration about the baby, like large baby. Um, 
But I'm around all week, and we're going to be in here for the rest of the week. So if you have a question, if you see me around at the beach or something, please come and say, hey, I want to ask you a question about your seminar. I would love to talk with you about that. Okay? So good. Let me pray, and you all are free to like come up and hang out for a little bit. Or if you all need to scoot on and, uh, you know, is the, is the septic stuff still blocked over here? Okay. I don't know. Okay. Well, here, let me pray for us. Father, the prayer, just the cry of so many people in Scripture is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We pray that you would use our times together to do just that. I pray that you would take what we talked about, which is just a whirlwind of information today, that you would enable us to meditate on it, to think about it, and as a result, uh, to have our faith strengthened and to grow in the knowledge and Uh, the love uh, for Jesus Christ. Would you bless us as we go from here? Would you bless the rest of our day, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.